Good afternoon. I'm Callie Crossley. Today we're talking about millennials and what role they'll play in this year's presidential election. A new poll out of Harvard finds that millennials are currently favoring President Obama over Mitt Romney. But will they turn out for the president with the same enthusiasm that they brought to the race in 2008? Joining me to talk through this is John Delavope, Director of Polling at Harvard University's Institute of Politics. He's also the founder of Social Sphere. Aaron O'Brien is a professor of political science at UMass Boston, and Alexa Scordata is our representative from the millennials. She's the director of social media and communications at Tutor Incorporated. Thank you all for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, let's start with you, John Delavope, because you gathered the data. Um, overall, in the latest poll that you took, which was uh, just quite recent, the bottom line was that the millennials will vote for President Obama. There's a lot more there, but let's just start there. Um. <clears throat> Absolutely. The, the millennials <clears throat> were, as, as, as you may know, were a key uh, foundation and building block for the, for the um, significant part of the electorate for Obama in 2008. And certainly as the election has grown closer, they seem to be coming back home to a large extent. However, if I were in the Obama campaign, I wouldn't feel so confident. Now, the margin... 17 points? Talk about that, if you will. Yeah. When we talk about millennials, it's 18 to 29-year-olds 20, in terms of the focus of the survey. And to put it into perspective, this was the group, the only age group that John Kerry, back in 2004 won, he won it by about 11 points or so, about 54, 55, 45 or so uh, against uh, President Bush. In 2008, Obama won them by by two to one margin, 66 to 34 percent, 34, 33 points. So the idea of a 17 point margin now actually means that Obama is underperforming relative to where he was in 2008. OK, Alexa, uh, these numbers don't seem to surprise you. Not at all. I think that even though in the most recent years, millennials have been preoccupied with things like jobs and employment, um, that message of change is still something that resonates with us deeply. And that's something that we'll revisit in this next election. And Aaron, um, even though the numbers are up, uh, you say there's something else to pay attention to. Yeah, I think the, the outcome measures that we're talking about obviously matter. But I think something that's been underplayed or um, not talked about enough is the way in which they matter as sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that Part of the reason Obama won, because it looked like people were excited about Obama running. And young people, we love it when young people are pumped to do institutional politics. And so I think part, a part of why he started at VCU, I mean, Obama started at Virginia Commonwealth University and Ohio State, was to get it um, looking like millennials are excited. Because if it looks like millennials are excited, other people see him as harder to beat. So I think that dynamic, the campaign dynamic element of millennials gets underplayed, whereas the outcome measures, they do vote more for Obama or they have, and it looks like they will again. But the mobilization of them, I think, will be really central to this campaign. Alexa, speak to that, if you would, the, the uh, dragging on the enthusiasm. Uh, I agree with Aaron. I think that millennials feel like we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. You know, we're the most uh, digital generation. And so I think social media is also still going to be a role in sort of emphasizing um, political attitudes and, and support for President Obama. And I think that, you know, to Aaron's point, it's 
you know, as much a part of millennial attitudes as it is about, I guess, the um, the notion that there's there's momentum here. All right. Now, John Delavope, I want to go back to the poll that you did before this last one, um, which really had different kinds of numbers. And tell me what the significance is in the change from that point to this point. So we take two polls every year at Harvard. Um, The last poll was released in early December, taken right after Thanksgiving time, released in early December. And at that point, there was some, for the first time, some fairly startling um, results that we saw. At that time, more millennials actually predicted that Obama would lose rather than win. So no, he he had a kind of a gap in terms of more people were supporting him, but they weren't very, very confident at that point. It was the beginning of the Republican campaign field, and it was the lowest moment for Obama since we've been polling during his administration in 2009. Since then, we've seen some significant improvements. We've seen that his uh, their impression of his job on the economy has improved overall approval rating across the board has improved. And also the millennials have seen the degree or not that Romney and the Republicans have targeted millennial, millennials themselves. And I think the the result has been that they haven't been too much of a priority, it seems like, so far from the Republican field. Alexa, here's the thing. Um, are there – is the economy as important an issue as seems to pop up in – polls of other folks, uh, you know, other groups of folks, longtime voters who are different age from you, who, um, you know, whether they're Republican or Democrat, it it seems that the economy is number one. Is that across the board where millennials are as well? I think so. I think the economy is number one for millennials, but in a different way than older generations. I think that for us at a time in our lives, you know, we're, we're focused on jobs, but for many cases, it's the first job. It's not necessarily issues related to taxes, retirement, stability. In many ways, I would argue that we might be the first generation to not retire. And so I think that as a whole, you know, we represent um, we represent a mindset that, you know, we're just trying to get started, right? I think when, um, you know, we talk about the economy, at least amongst my peers, um, we feel like there's just a, a loss of leadership, right? We're, we're just trying to figure things out. We have no basis of comparison, right? We're just starting out. Um, and so I think, you know, conversations related to the economy amongst us are, are actually very different than, say, 40 and 50-year-olds. You can join the conversation at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. We want to hear from some millennials beyond Alexa. How do you think you'll vote in this election? What issues will drive you to the polls in November? 877-301-8970. You can write to our Facebook page or tweet me at Callie Crossley. So, Aaron, all of this comes together in one stew to get people to vote. And we are talking about, in, in John Delavope's um, study, is really about voters. So we want to be clear about that. There's a large body of young people, not everybody's voting. Mm-hmm. But in the group of voters, this is what he's saying. So within those group of voters, if they are not enthused to the point that they were, even if they decide that they're going um, to vote for him, is there any significant danger of people staying at home? Definitely. And I I think um, I would actually sort of trace back on the voters element. Voters is a fluid category. Mm -hmm. And we see that especially with millennials. We saw, you know, the the overall electorate went up 4% in terms of turnout in 2008, 9% amongst millennials. 
But in 2010, they largely stayed home from the polls. There were they, the, the midterm election 2010, they turned out less than 2006. So what this says to me, and I think um, any scholars of mobilization models, that millennials need to be targeted. They need to be taken seriously. Right? They're not just there to knock on your doors and do your bumper stickers and be at your photo ops. But to Alexis's point, there are tangible policy issues that are, are, are dangerously affecting um, uh, the millennials, especially on the economy and other issues. So I think um, who of voters – I'm sorry, who of millennials are voters is incredibly contested right now because they are the most fluid of categories in turning up at the poll. They can be mobilized to do so, but they can also be demobilized by not being taken seriously. And for 2008, at the federal level, it's better for the Republicans if youth don't turn out. Mm. Right, um, and so parties don't necessarily mobilize; they strategically mobilize or demobilize, and millennials are central to that. So, to John Delavope's last point, which is that the the right now the Republicans don't seem to be targeting millennials, that works for them if they don't show up. It works for Republicans, um, mm. given those numbers. You know, sixty six of thirty three, thirty four in two thousand eight in favor of Obama. You, you don't have to be evil to look at that <laughs> and say, "Hey, I." I'm not going to those campuses if I'm a Republican because I don't necessarily – the numbers tell me it's not better for me if they turn out. And going to my earlier point, if they're not turning out and they're not mobilized, it looks good because the Obama campaign looks like hope and change is gone. They're not out there. So it has a twofold effect. If they're not excited, better for Republicans. And if they don't turn out, better for Republicans. So John Delavope, I mean that's what your 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 study in 2011 showed at, that right before – uh, I'm sorry, in around t- 2010, a lot of them stayed home, as Aaron said. Um, but they were, at the same time, in your later poll, they were unhappy with the direction of the company. So you would have thought they would have been caught up in the sweep with the other folks who were unhappy and went in to vote the bums out, who they thought were responsible for making them unhappy. So it's kind of an interesting w- w- response. It is, <laughs> it is. And let me take one step back. This is the 21st survey that we've conducted of over the last 12 years or so. And the first survey we conducted was in 2000, a year before 9-11. At that time, we found that young people weren't voting. We were coming out of the dull, the dull Clinton rematch of 1996, and youth turnout was extremely low. However, the impetus for the study was the fact that it seemed like so many young people across the country in high schools and colleges and outside of colleges were volunteering in their community. Right? At that point, we measured 59% of college students who were volunteering in a significant way kind of on campus or in their community. They cared deeply about the direction of the community and the country. They didn't believe through our qualitative and our quantitative research that voting to change, you know, whoever the elected member of Congress was or for the president, was the best, most efficient path to seeing their kind of the goals and objectives met. So they didn't participate. Mm-hmm. 9-11 happened. Politics became very tangible very, very quickly, and they kind of rallied around the flag. They rallied around the country, and they voted. 2002, 2004, 2006, and 2008, those four elections, we saw greater proportions of young people participate. And now, unfortunately, we've seen a big step backward, 2010, 2000. Um, and we suspect 2012 will be also a step backwards compared to 2008. Um, they have a fundamental kind of distrust mm-hmm. of of Washington, of the public institutions, unfortunately, at this point. In fact, more young people trust the United Nations than trust Congress, the federal government right now. And Wall Street. Wow. Well, that goes from his saying, poll. doesn't it? <laughs> that yeah. was from okay. his poll. Yes. All right. Well, much more from the poll at uh, Harvard's. 
uh, Institute of Politics uh, poll and our discussion here about the upcoming election and the impact of the millennial vote. We're talking about the presidential election with a focus on how millennials will vote this time around. You can join the conversation at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. You can write to our Facebook page or send me a tweet at Callie Crossley. Millennials, we want to hear from you. What issues will drive you to the polls this November? And are you going to sit this race out? Are you still hoping someone else will get in the race? 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. You're listening to WGBH, Boston Public Radio. WGBH programs exist because of you and the Boston Speaker Series, seven evenings at Symphony Hall with a lineup of speakers that includes two former presidents, a New York Times bestselling author, a miracle survival story, and much more. BostonSpeakerSeries.org. And Geriatric Care Managers of New England. If you're struggling with the challenges of caring for an elder loved one, professional geriatric care managers can help guide you through the elder care maze. Info at GCMNewEngland.org. And the growing number of WGBH sustainers who manage their contributions to public radio with the help of monthly installments and automatic renewals. Learn more about the ease of sustaining membership at WGBH.org. Mississippi musician Paul Thorne claims to have this effect on the women who come to his shows. It's kind of like on the Animal Channel with the, you know, <laughs> you, you become the dominant male, you know, at that moment. That's, it's basic biology. That's all it is. <laughs> Animal magnetism, the seductive power of biscuits, and other stories from Paul Thorne. Later on All Things Considered from NPR News. This afternoon at 4 here on 89.7 WGBH. With more than 40 years under NPR's belt. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. There's now an entire generation of listeners who grew up from NPR News. This is All Things Considered. Listening to public radio from the back seat. If you're a member of the Backseat Generation, this year give Mom her due with a shout-out on the WGBH Facebook page. Just search for WGBH at Facebook.com. And to every public radio mom, thanks. Great question. That is a great question. And that's a great question. It's a great question. What a great question. On Fresh Air, you'll hear unexpected questions and unexpected answers. This afternoon at 2, here on 89.7 WGBH. Welcome back to the Callie Crossley Show. If you're just joining us, we're talking about millennials and what role they'll play in this year's election. I'm joined by John Delavope, the director of polling at Harvard University's Institute of Politics, Aaron O'Brien, a professor of political science at UMass Boston, and Alexa Scordato, director of social media and communications at Tudor Incorporated. You can join us at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Millennials, get in on the conversation at 877-301-8970. Let's take a couple of calls. Uh, Mia from Boston, go ahead, please. You're on the Callie Crossley Show, WGBH. Hi, my name is Mia. Um, just before the break, we had a question that was, um, Do is the economy still an important issue for millennials in addition to an older group of voters? 
And I just wanted to add um, to some of the answers that were given. I think the economy is most definitely a concern for us, but I also think that what we hope for and what we may expect from the economy it may be different from an older group of voters. You know, many people from my graduating class at school, I'm 23, I just graduated one year ago, um, entered into the nonprofit sector. So you're looking at a very different mindset for people entering the workforce. Thank you so much for the call. Alexa, you had mentioned earlier that the way that your generation, that the millennials are talking about the economy is different. What what exactly do you mean by that? And that's what uh, Mia seems to be echoing. Yeah, I agree with Mia. I mean, I think that when you look at millennial attitudes towards work, we're not necessarily thinking of what career path is going to get us to retirement. If anything, you know, um, what we care most about are actually things like company culture and while, yes, uh, money and being able to take care of ourselves is definitely still important, again, I think there are other elements to work and jobs that perhaps weren't as prominent in previous generations. And does it make a difference uh, for you, Alexa Scordata, that millennials, um, that you know you're probably not going to be at the same job for 30 years? <laughs> I mean, you know that right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny that um, yeah, I recently read something that said that, you know, what millennials care most about is finding meaningful work. It doesn't surprise me that Mia, you know, is part of a large number of recent graduates who are entering the nonprofit sector. Um, and again, to John's point earlier, you know, millennials are community oriented. We do believe in change, but we don't necessarily feel that political um, institutions like politics or Wall Street are the best drivers of that change we want to see. Got it. Sam from Nashua, New Hampshire. Go ahead, please. You're on the Callie Crossley Show, 89.7 WGBH. Hi, yes. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to point out, um, I'm, I'm from um, Maine. I'm now working in the medical profession in southern New Hampshire. However, I went to a very liberal college in Maine, and I come from a conservative background. I had always been concerned with conservative politics. That was kind of the way I went. However, when I went to college, going to a liberal university, um, I found my vote was actually swayed. And going with my peers in that excitement for Mr. Obama, I actually voted for him at the age of 22 when I just graduated college. And now I find myself, as I've gotten out into the world, I've got my master's degree, that um, my, my political views kind of wavered throughout that time just because of the excitement that you guys were talking about around campus and, and how everybody was excited about that change and everything that's going on. And even though I'm not a, a huge supporter of Mr. Um, Romney, uh, I think my vote's going to have to go towards him just because otherwise I'm going to be voting for Mr. Obama again, and he really doesn't reflect my values. But so is so it is it that, uh, before you go, uh, Sam, is it that as you've said, he, he, is it only that he doesn't reflect your values, or is it that you are greatly disappointed in some way? Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed with the way that things have been going. Um, the, the hype on campus with the Bush era was he's an awful president, he's doing awful things, he's bringing us to places we shouldn't be bringing this country. And my values or my um, agreements with the conservative side kind of wavered right then with the, with the right. So I think it was more of a disappointment with my own party mm. that inspired me to go um, go with Mr. Obama. But seeing that there's not really that much of a difference between one and the other and a whole lot hasn't been fixed, I think it's uh, time to give somebody else a chance at least a different party. 
Thank you so much for the call, Sam. Uh, John, Thank I want to get you in on this call. I just let me throw the number out again first. 877-301-8970. 877-301-8970. Millennials like Sam and like Mia want to hear from more of you. 877-301-8970. Write to our Facebook page or send us a tweet at Callie Crossley. John Delavope, how do you respond to uh, Sam and Mia's comments? I think I think Mia and Sam are both very representative of a lot of the millennials that we talk to with, through focus groups and through the survey. And especially I want to um, to mention a couple of points connected with Sam, who lives, by the way, in a swing state, which is New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the millennial vote, by the way, there were more millennials who cast votes in 2012 than senior citizens. It's been true for the last couple of elections, just based on the sheer size of this generation. So... So, so, so let's just let's underscore that. So, okay. you know, because uh, what we have heard to date has been the seniors, the seniors, the seniors. They are the super voters. So that's a block you cannot dismiss. So if you're telling us in sheer numbers they have it, then somebody better pay attention to them. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> About almost one in five of all votes cast in the next presidential election will be cast by people under 30. Mm. And you'll be a million or maybe even a couple of million more votes cast by that group than by senior citizens. Now, of course, senior citizens vote at a higher proportion. You know, they're more likely to vote, but there's just not as many of them as this, uh, the echo of the, the baby boom generation. Um, when, you, when you break down the millennial vote by race, clearly Obama does, he's up by 79 points or so among African-Americans and blacks. Um, but among whites, who he bested McCain by about 10 points three and a half, four years ago, he now trails by three, okay? And it's roughly a third, a third, a third. A third of young whites voting for Obama, about a third are voting for Romney, and a third are undecided. In other words, walk down the street in millennial America and you'd see white people, and seven out of ten of them are not committed to Obama at this stage of the campaign. That's, that's an interesting statistic. So, Aaron, why wouldn't they give, as Sam has decided, now he has, uh, as he said, he came from a conservative background to begin with and sort of went off track and came back to his roots. But why wouldn't some of these millennials who have shown up in John Delavope's uh, study as saying we're voting for Obama, even if not enthusiastically, give Romney a chance? Well, I actually think seems representative of a trend, but it's a smaller trend. Um, uh, young people, 18 to 29, as we've said several times, went 66-31 for Obama. In 2010, they still went 57-40 for Democrats, right, which is totally different than other voters, right? Other voters went 45-52 in favor of Republicans. Even during the midterms? Even in those are t- which, the 2010 data. Okay. So Sam is representative of a falloff, but the Democratic trend – has stayed um, amongst 18 to 29-year-olds when, as Mia alluded to and Sam did too, during really tough economic times. Um, And so uh, there is a smaller percentage that can give Romney a shot, but the trends are still in favor of um, uh, Obama. I actually think part of what's most interesting, we haven't talked about Ron Paul at all. Well, I was was just getting to him. You're reading my mind. Excellent. Vulcan mind mill. Um, (laughs) Because in in the study, I was very Mm -hmm. surprised to see that there is a great amount of interest among these young people in the study for libertarianism. Young people, uh, where the millennials right now are most vocal and visible 
active. Ron Paul has that group. Now, he doesn't have the whole percentage of millennials, but his support is amongst millennials. So it begs the question of, can Ron Paul's millennials go to Romney? And given John's findings and some others, um, the libertarian base of that makes it a much harder leap. You know, you're not going from, um, you know, uh, oh God, um, Santorum mm-hmm. to Romney. Mm-hmm. To go from Ron Paul to Romney is a bigger jump for millennials because um, Romney doesn't share uh, Paul's libertarian leanings. Alexa, uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to bring up Ron Paul at this point is not just because of the trend that was that was uh, evidenced in the in the study, but also because you've spoken so many times, and I'd like you to to reiterate that millennials have a particular take about social issues. And when social issues come up and they haven't been, except for Santorum, so much on stage, then the libertarians sort of can capture young people because they're in essence saying live and let live and I'm not dealing with all that. You know, I got some other issues to deal with uh, as a libertarian. Can you speak to that if you would? Yes, absolutely. I think that, you know, economy jobs, number one, but we can't forget about how passionate and socially driven millennials are as a whole. We're the most diverse generation. We're far less religious. We have, we're seeing a major shift in cultural attitudes related to women and gay rights. And these are all factors that I think millennials care deeply about. I mean, you, if you went on Twitter last night, um, North Carolina was trending. Mm-hmm. My Facebook feed is full of political discourse right now, and it's all in reaction to a very weighty social issue. And so I don't think we can dismiss, um, dismiss that factor. Well, in North Carolina, the vote was overwhelmingly uh, enthusiastically yes for a ban against same-sex marriage. But what I wanted to know, and Alexa, since your your uh, social media has been blowing up, maybe you can shed some light, is where was the breakdown with young people? Because that seemed to me to be so opposite of what young people, wherever they are ideologically, uh, seem to express. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of young people in North Carolina, but um, in the Northeast, at least, and amongst my network, um, I think it was very clear how how disappointed uh, we were as a whole in that vote. Um, and again, you know, if you look at Twitter as uh, Twitter trends as sort of a, a benchmark for uh, discourse, it was overwhelmingly negative. Uh, is there any way, John, to figure out how what percentage of that vote? I'm sure later, you know, was <laughs> did young people and and I'd be curious to know because that was a little bit surprising for. Th- I think some other people looking from the outside, outside that it would go quite as strongly as it did. We need to dig deeper into some exit polls and some census information. But it is surprising because North Carolina was one of three states that actually switched from red to blue in the last election. Right. And it was a lot. It was the entire difference um, was based upon the millennial vote. Young African-American group, and a lot of other younger people in North Carolina are turning that state to be a real swing state, you know, over, over the next um, over the next couple of cycles. But the other segment of this millennial vote that's worth noting is a, a segment that's about a quarter of the size of this vote that we call the new religious. Mm. OK, this is a segment back when I started in politics, we used to think of as kind of the um, the Reagan Democrat or the Catholic voter. And this segment 
um, is actually more religious than the than the um, the society as a whole, and they are more likely to be of Hispanic or African American origins. And you've got the kind of the, the deep religious background in, in both of those cultures. And in some cases, this is the this would be the advice to Romney. In some cases, they look like conservative Republicans. Two thirds of them say they're concerned about the moral direction of our country. Forty percent of them say they believe that religious value values should play a greater role in government. Um, they more more of them believe that um, in school choice than others. So they look like traditional conservative Republican voters. On the other side, they're extremely supportive of health insurance as a as a human basic human right. They believe we should have more government spending to deal with issues with poverty, and they believe in eliminating barriers to free trade. Looks like Democrat. That's the real swing vote that was split evenly. Mm-hmm. Kerry Bush eight years ago, mm-hmm. Obama won them handily. That's the place where Romney really needs to kind of figure out if he can make some inroads if he if he wants to be competitive in, in the millennial vote. Erin, um, you want to weigh in? Well, mm-hmm. I, I just like to add to this context, and I think with this issue in in particular, that um, one mistake we can make in talking about millennials is equating that with college students, right? Right, that's true. And they're not the same thing. And I think part of what John's picking up on there is um, the differences between those things. Like when we talk about millennials, um, unfairly, oftentimes the vision is those campaign rallies. Um, to Sam's point, you know, his liberal college in Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we tend to think of, but. But a lot of those 18 to 29-year-olds are in the military. Um, they're underemployed. They're not going to college. They've gone to proprietary colleges. And so sometimes there can be a disjuncture. One of the ways that the new religious voters can be left out is if we equate it only with uh, the college campuses equal millennial voters. Less than one in four are on a college campus. Right. Yeah. Um, and we should say that North Carolina uh, you know, is heavily Latino. That's one of the battleground uh, groups for both President Obama and Mitt Romney. And I'm going to assume that even though some young people, are, as Alexa has pointed out, are veering off in a different direction from their parents, you know, there's a, there's a strong uh, base there for a lot of people to, to be opposed to same-sex marriage from a religious standpoint and also with African-Americans as well. Let me take some calls. Um, Amber from South Kingston, Rhode Island. Go ahead, please. You're on the Callie Crossley Show, 89.7. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you. Um, would it be okay if I went back to the Ron Paul uh, sure. segment for a second? Um, I just had a conversation with a few of my Ron Paul supporter friends about who they would choose, either Mitt Romney or Obama, when it comes down to it, and none of them had chosen Romney. Like, on ter- <laughs> in terms of, you know, LGBT rights, women's rights, and then even, you know, education and the economy, they were all way more for Obama than Romney. Oh, and I okay. feel like a lot of um, kids my age, or sorry, young adults my age, uh, <laughs> would um, feel the same way. And is that uh, because a lot of people are libertarian leaning, or what would you attribute it to? What are they saying? Honestly, I would say it's because we had Mitt Romney for governor in Massachusetts, and mm. they don't want him in charge anymore. Okay, uh, but. Um, I mean, he doesn't very well connect with, you know, anyone that I consider a peer. I, I've never heard anyone say, you know, Mitt Romney's a really cool guy. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much, Amber. Uh, Alexa, the cool factor. Um, you've got uh, President Obama jamming the news with Jimmy Fallon and doing some other things that make people very uncomfortable. Some <laughs> older folk, but uh, obviously it's playing out for some younger people. I mean, I, I think it's great. I, um, in general, I think that 
it's a very smart thing for him to be visible in pop culture, um, to engage, you know, in social media channels and, you know, to give off the perception that he is someone who we can relate to as a person. Again, if you're the president of the United States, you're representing the country. And so um, I think with millennials, that cool factor is is important. Uh, well, I'm curious about uh, if you have picked up any – I know your, 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 your feed is definitely coming from the Northeast. But are you hearing anything social media-wise from North Carolina? I'm just trying to get a sense of – where you know maybe a few young people might have been in that in that vote that same sex marriage vote you know um i it's only through a friend who grew up in north carolina and she posted something that said if we were friends and you voted um for this defriend me immediately I do not want to talk to you again. And then there was this huge debate of, you know, her friends saying, are you really saying that? Are you serious? Um, but, you know, that's really the the extent of what I've been privy to. Well, that, that's kind of a strong comment. <laughs> and I, I just want to add that my uh, NPR colleague, Guy Raz, uh, did a whole conversation with millennial libertarians this past weekend. And the first question he asked was, are you for same-sex marriage? Every single one of them said, yes, yes, of course. Like, what are we talking about? Erin, you wanted to add? I'm not a betting person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm incredibly conservative in that manner. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. But I would bet everything I have, um, which is more limited. But I would definitely bet it that um, young people in North Carolina would um, not, certainly not mirror Massachusetts, but would be more in favor of or against, I'm sorry, the, this anti-gay marriage mm. proposal. And in part that comes from I have a lot of um, fellow faculty members who are teaching at very you know, three to four North Carolina universities and seeing their feeds and having discussions with them as are they totally representative of North Carolina? No. Are they a pretty good indicator that um, those those individuals have seen millennials being um, disproportionately against what went on in North Carolina? But importantly, context matters. Yes. Elections happen in the states. They are, North Carolina is not going to mirror what millennials do in Massachusetts. So it, it's a matter of degrees. They would be um, more likely to be against than older folks in North Carolina. But millennials in North Carolina will not mirror trends in the North east or the southwest and and to your point we must remember that it's we're not just talking about college students right i think that's Precisely. very important all right we're talking about presidential the presidential election with a focus on what influence the millennials will have on this race you can join us at 877-301-8970 877-301-8970 the conversation continues on wgbh boston public radio This program is made possible thanks to you. Ann Russell's, a family gardening tradition for over 135 years with annuals, perennials, herbs and shrubs, bird baths, statuary, pots, plus jewelry, gifts, and toys. Russell's Garden Center, Route 20, Wayland. And Bank of America. Bank of America and all the predecessor banks that became Bank of America have supported WGBH for literally decades. Bob Gallery, Massachusetts President, Bank of America. Being associated with WGBH just amplifies how important this institution is to the city of Boston. I couldn't imagine Boston without WGBH. To learn more, visit wgbh.org slash sponsorship. 
On the next Fresh Air, our postponed interview with Imam Faisal Abdul Rauf, the imam famous for trying to build an interfaith Islamic center near Ground Zero. His new book is called Moving the Mountain, Beyond Ground Zero to a New Vision of Islam in America. Also, Gretchen Reynolds talks about the latest scientific research into exercise and fitness. Join us. This afternoon at 2, here on 89.7 WGBH. It's time for the 47th Annual WGBH Auction. It's your chance to take advantage of some great deals on home furnishings, electronics, jewelry, fine dining, unforgettable getaways, and even a brand new Toyota Prius, donated by your New England Toyota dealers. And every winning bid supports the programs you depend on from WGBH Radio and Television. Bid high, bid off, and keep coming back for daily features. It's all online at auction.wgbh.org. New teaching tools are helping students take charge of their own learning. So a lot of this is learning at your own pace. Innovative programs for inner-city students on Innovation Hub. Saturday morning at 7 here on 89.7 WGBH. Welcome back to the Callie Crossley Show. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about millennials and what role they'll play in this year's presidential race. I'm joined by John Delavope, the director of polling at Harvard University's Institute of Politics, Aaron O'Brien, a professor of political science at UMass Boston, and Alexa Scordato, director of social media and communications at Tutor Incorporated. You can join us at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Millennials, we want to hear from you. Give us a ring at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970, or use the communication you usually use. Send us a message to Facebook or a tweet at Callie Crossley. So, John Delavope, there's some other interesting uh, data that came out of this most recent poll, and I'd love you to share some of that, if you would, that you think is something we should be paying a particular attention to. Sure. Uh, first, we'll just look at from a demographic point of view. We talk about the differences between whites, blacks, and Hispanics. The other piece of data that was really interesting, which provides some opportunity for the Romney campaign if they choose to engage, is the younger segment of millennials. So those who really don't have that relationship that we're talking about with President Obama, the Obama campaign, and the administration. Among those millennials who are between 25 and 29 years old, he leads by 23 percentage points. Among those who are between 18 and 24, he leads by 12. Mm. Okay, So a real opportunity, if the Romney campaign chooses to engage, is to begin to Think about building a relationship with us. Now, it's going to be difficult because when we get to some specific issues, the kind of the world's view are going to be different, but they're not necessarily kind of coming of age saying, I'm with Obama 100% of the time. So that's something, that's something to look at. In addition to that, we, for the first time, our students were interested in trying to understand the trade-offs that young people and all people have to make in terms of priorities in Washington. So it's one thing to say, yes, the economy is number one. But what's more important, um, reducing the deficit or investing in education? What's more important, preventing Iran from getting a nuclear weapon or stabilizing the European economy? So when we're able to make some of those um, trade-offs, we see that this generation believes actually that investing in world-class education, investing in healthcare, and investing in um, energy independence, those three issues are significantly more important than reducing the deficit at this point. 
which provides some real insight into, in terms of how this generation thinks about their priorities. So with that in mind, uh, does uh, President Obama's sort of standing firm on trying to push Congress to uh, not allow this doubling of uh, interest rate on government loans for college make a difference? Is that something that cuts right through to young people, even though, as we've said, not all millennials are in college? Hmm. I, I think there's two points of that that are important. Hmm. The first part, perhaps the most important part, which is standing firm. You know, I think that a lot of the millennials, like Sam earlier in the in the show, were somewhat disappointed at the rate of change and the fact that he's not you know, kind of focus as much as they like on, on some of the things he talked about in 2007, 2008. So the day of standing firm is very, very important. And, and I think although the college loans are only important for a third of this population who have some you know, uh, secondary degree, um, it is somewhat symbolic, of I think, of him reaching out to this generation. Alexa, uh, weigh in on that, if you would. How do, how do you see millennials responding to or not uh, President Obama's uh, real push around this uh, the doubling of the potential doubling of tax on government loans. I mean, I think it's um, even though millennials are not just college students, um, those of us who are relatively recent graduates, it's still something that hits home for us. And so, um, I think that it's something that will resonate. Um, but it's you know, again, uh, it's something that I think you know will. It, it basically it, it's something that I've heard a lot of conversations about. I have friends who are campaigning for you know fix young America, and are basically rallying for the Jobs Act. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with with John in that sense. Um, now beyond just his response to this particular issue, uh, how do you think millennials are responding in general? John made the point that standing firm is a big deal, and you would say, would you agree? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, having a clear point of view, again, consistent messaging, creating that momentum and reinforcing points that millennials can rally around um, is something that's going to be critical in President Obama's success for reelection. And what are some of the points that you think uh, would drive millennials to the polls? Absolutely. Uh, that if he articulates them right now, his slogan is forward. You know, what what would he say? Uh, specifically that millennials could hear in terms of going forward? You know, I wouldn't forget the the message of change, but maybe a modified version of that, which is that change is difficult, but it's still possible. And that, you know, we're going to do this together, that, um, you know, we can improve jobs, we can improve student debt, we can improve the environment, we can improve ourselves as uh, as a as a country by being more diverse and inclusive. I mean, these are all things that I think millennials will rally around and bring them to the polls. Erin? Uh, I would add that um, on this debt issue, I, I think both of the slogans um, that Alexis just offered w- would really tap given some of the polling data we've just seen. But I also think the student debt um, position is brilliant. We've said repeatedly today, you know, college does not equal millennial, but debt does equal millennial. Mm. And so it, what he's doing right now counters what we call in political science via Susan Mettler, um, the submerged state, that we get government benefits, but majorities don't think they do because it's submerged in the tax code. It's just hard to see, right? His um, work on student loans counters that. That here's a guy standing up for us. And if he's standing up on student debt, 
he's probably going to stand up on credit card debt, which he has to a certain degree. Um, so I think that debt message is very real. It ties to the economy. Um, and, and the visibility of it is a message that matters because it counters this idea that government doesn't do anything for me. Government does a lot for a lot of people. But the way in which we do the policy design is oftentimes invisible. Tax code, credits, that's hard to be like, I got my you know, tax code credit. Yeah. It's a lot um, less fun to be like, I got my check. Yeah. Right. And so I, that's why I think that that debt issue, to the degree that student debt permeates into debt in general, which millennials are deeply affected by, is a pretty smart move. And to your to all of your points about millennials not equaling college students, and he's been pretty visible about jobs for veterans. And we know that those folks, most of the folks fighting uh, in these wars that we don't talk about a lot, are young people. Um, they may not be college students, but they're young people. They're coming back. They can't get work, and they have a host of other, you know, health and medical issues. He's been really out front. He signed a bill, got that bill pushed forward for that, in saying that this is important. So, I, I, from your perspective, John Delavope, is that another visibility for hit point for him? I think it it mm-hmm. absolutely is. With a big part of the subgroup of America who represent the veterans. You're looking at North Carolina. You're looking at a lot of these swing states where you have another segment of the millennial population more likely to be independent to conservative, certainly, you know, um, more likely to be white than than not. But I've spent a lot of time um, speaking to young members of the military, military families, and especially um, those of color and Hispanics. And there is not a more patriotic segment of America than young Hispanics hmm. who 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 um, who come of age and want to kind of repay America a little bit back for the opportunities that they've had and and um, are therefore kind of defending us overseas. So. It's an important part of that um, strategy, and, and it's one of the few issues that Michelle Obama, also the first lady, yes. is focused on, as we know. You're listening to 89.7 WGBH and online at WGBH.org. I'm Callie Crossley. We're talking about millennials and what role they'll play in this year's presidential election. I'm joined by John Delavope, the director of polling at Harvard University's Institute of Politics, Aaron O'Brien, a professor of political science at UMass Boston, and Alexa Scordato, director of social media and communications at Tutor Incorporated. You can get in on the conversation at 877-301-8970, 8970. So something that's been sort of alluded to by all three of you in this conversation, we haven't talked about it explicitly, explicitly, is uh, the impact of President Obama's race or not with this group. Alexa has stated strongly that millennials are likely to not focus on this in the negative way that some older people may do it. But at the same time, there is, it seems to me, and we've discussed it other times on this show, an increase in the kind of horrific, nasty, racist kind of stuff that's out there now, uh, and that's particularly directed at him in that way, not having not directed at him vis-a-vis his policy, but vis-a-vis who he is as a person of color. And I just wonder how that's going to play out. Erin, you want to say something? You know, we've said repeatedly that this is the most diverse group. 61 white, 17 Hispanic, 15 African-American, 4 Asian, right? They do, though, follow some larger trends of the larger electorate. They're unique, but they're the same, right? You know, that that, that it's important when we point out their differences from other voters to not look at the within-group differences. There's still a 9% gender gap 
amongst millennials. There's a 9% socioeconomic bias or socioeconomic status um, gap in, in, in part in, in some of the stuff John found. Obama needs to win white working class voters. A lot of white working class people are 18 to 29. So those white working class men that um, were for Hillary first and then sort of came to a lesser degree to Obama, um, they're also 18 to 29. And so some of the findings that 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 group has gone away from Obama isn't all about race. But to say it's not about race is um, um, strikes me as empirically false. The other side of the race equation is how well he's doing with African-Americans and right. blacks. Mm-hmm. For example, we've conducted half dozen polls in the last couple of years. This is Obama's approval rating among African-Americans, 84, 83, 83, 83, 83, 82. They are twice as likely to think the country's headed in the right direction and twice as likely specifically as whites and Hispanics. So having that core consti- constituency um, continue to stick with him and not only vote, Yet millennials not only are great voters, but they're also the heart and soul of a campaign in terms of volunteerism and, and all the other aspects, technology-wise, social media, all the other parts of a campaign that are important. So, Alexa, as I've said, you, you've said this is, you know, you're, the generation is diverse and you're moving away from this. But I have to note that uh, for another program here at um, WGBH Basic Black, I just did a whole thing looking at hipster racism, which is right in the uh-huh. the, the the line of sight with millennials. Um, people so cool, they think they that, you know, they can say a lot of stuff and do make some comments that and it just looks just like old fashioned racism. So how do you balance that, Alexa, with where you think millennials have put race in this uh, presidential election? I mean, I think that there it's it's a minority group that feels that way. Um, in two thousand and eight, you know, many of my friends voted for Obama specifically because he was African American, and that you know, I think for some of us, we consider we consider ourselves as a generation this tipping point towards a truly post racial uh, society. Um, to the extent that race is a factor in this next election. Um, you know, adding to all the points that we just mentioned, um, I think it'll actually be perhaps less about um, President Obama being African American and more about the issues. But again, something that um, you know, the hostility that's expressed against you know, you said hipster, hipster racism, um, mm-hmm. racism. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, it actually might swing things in a more positive direction. Anytime you have negative dissenters, there's usually uh, a lot of positive social discourse or opposition basically trying to shoot that shoot that down. Um, you know, if you look at any type of YouTube thread or, or conversation mm-hmm. in social media, you know, it usually starts with, you know, one person expressing a negative view. You know, you can look at outlets like Huffington Post and other blogs. Um, and then it usually sparks a fire, but, you know, a support usually winds up triumphing, I think. Mm. Okay, so it's still it's a factor, but it, it in the way you say it, it's not going to be huge. So, John Delavope, if one thing I've said about this election, uh, with presumed nominee being uh, Mitt Romney, voters will have a stark choice. Now, a number of you have, or a couple of you have said that they kind of seem alike, <laughs> Mitt Romney and Obama. But it seems to me, in terms of policies, they're very clearly different. And when it comes to millennials observing the stark choices made, I know that you've said there's trade-offs that they have to consider, but it seems to me 
It's very clear. It's, it's, it's very clear at, at yeah. this point by a 17-point margin yeah. that millennials choose Obama. The question is, will enough of them turn out and will he have the same or similar margin than he did in 2008? And because, will anybody stay home? And will they stay home? And, mm. and the only last thing I'd like to say is young people also have a responsibility. Okay, the act of voting has been, has gotten significantly easier over the last decade or so. It's easier to find information. It's easier to mobilize. It's easier to find absentee ballots. So they also have a responsibility rather than just sitting home and 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 choosing to volunteer, which is terrific. But I think they have a responsibility to be good civic participants in society. Oh. And I think some millennials um, uh, would argue that there aren't the clear differences. Thing gets overplayed. Simply from the fact that you've got a generation that, that's lower in trust in government, lower in confidence, confidence in institutions, uh, Congress, the presidency, Wall Street, then to be told there are stark differences when change didn't happen becomes um, uh, – it can feel paternalistic, not on purpose, right? But we're talking about institutional politics with, with a generation that has been much more um, resistant to those institutions because they view them as largely failed or largely controlled by elite economic interests that they can't permeate. Um, and so while I, I would argue there are real policy differences between the two, it's important to think how millennials are viewing the margins. All right. Well, that's the last word on that for this moment. But love to have you back to have another conversation about it as we get closer. Thank you all so much. We've been talking about millennials and their role in the presidential election. I've been speaking with John Delavope, Aaron O'Brien, and Alexa Scordato. John Delavope is the director of polling at Harvard University's Institute of Politics. He's also the founder of Social Sphere. Aaron O'Brien is a professor of political science at UMass Boston. Alexa Scordata is the director of social media and communications at Tutor Incorporated. Special thanks to the folks at Radio Foundation. We're a production of WGBH.